Hi everyone and welcome to episode 64 of SAMA, a webinar series where we invite an expert to talk about their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Dr. Zach Bush to talk about the importance of emotion in gut health. Zach has the distinction of being one of the few triple board certified physicians in the country with the expertise in internal medicine, endocrinology and metabolism and hospice palliative care. The breakthrough science that Dr. Bush and his colleagues have delivered offer profound new insights into human health and longevity. His education efforts provide a grassroots foundation for everyday people like you and me, and are a catalyst for legislative decisions. Zach's goal is to make a paradigm change in the mega industries of big farming, big pharmac, and Western medicine at large. In this episode, Dr. Zach Bush will share how emotions such as fear can lead to disease, the role these emotions have on health, health issues such as leaky gut, and how to recover from diseases. So welcome to our show, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on. Very, very pleased to be with you and your audience here. Tell me, how can emotions lead to disease? Excellent. Yeah. So this is one of the phenomenal pieces of uh, science that is really missing from uh, the typical allopathic model. Uh, the understanding of the role of emotions in human life is one that is shied away from by the hard sciences. Um, and yet, you know, it's obviously a part of everyday life for every human being. And interestingly, we see it, you know, relatively uh, you know, missing from the animal kingdom. Uh, you know, we don't see uh, emotions causing disease uh, in the animal kingdom. I'm, I think there probably are emotions that uh, occur on a, a level with animals. We certainly see that in our companion animals and the like. Uh, we can certainly look to uh, elephants and you know the some of the other mammals like the monkeys and everything else to mm -hmm. show of emotional interactions between different spe different uh, individuals within a species like that. But the, the human seems to have a very distinct capacity for taking emotion to a pathologic level where it becomes uh, a process of disease and pathology. And that's a remarkable thing about our species and about this, perhaps the spiritual you know, position we hold on this planet is we have uh, a level of freedom uh, and, and maybe perhaps even free will, if you will, uh, if you're thinking on the spiritual level, that allows us to both rise to great heights and crash to great lows. And um, in the sciences, it's been a long time coming for us to start to wrap our minds around how it's possible that an emotion could be at the root of a disease process. Um, we can certainly look back to the kind of the mid-1800s when we started to recognize that mood disorders and, and you know, the abnormal emotions that would come with them were a disease. And so Freud and all of his colleagues in Europe uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, really started to categorize uh, the mood disorders. And so I think that was the first maybe stepping stone, because previous to that, uh, when people were, had psychosis or uh, depression or you know, all these things, it was chalked up to spiritual rather than physical or, or, or uh, other biologic processes. And so people thought were thought to be possessed or they were thought to, you know, have, you know, spiritual attack from demons or otherwise was usually the, the description that would be in, in the literature if, if somebody was uh, psychotic. And so Freud and his colleagues really moved, moved us forward and Carl Jung uh, with a lot of, you know, philosophical re reflection on what our uh, our paradigm is, what is our sense of reality and, and what forms that sense of reality. All of these things were first steps towards helping us to understand that there was likely a scientific and medical underpinning to emotions, which then allowed us to start to imagine the possibility that emotions could also be a part of uh, accelerating uh, damage. In the end um, of the century, uh, by the end of the century of, of the 20th century there we start to see a lot of information coming around uh, the biophysics. And so an increasing amount of understanding that we are not cellular and molecular beings, we're actually atomic beings. We have atoms that put, lace together each molecule and those, those molecules then go on to form something like a complex cell 
which would then go on to fill, you know, create 70 trillion cells together, a human body. Um, so the complexity of, of the fabric is pretty extraordinary. The, the scale is fascinating. The atom um, is so tiny compared to a human cell that it really defies the, the ability of the human brain to wrap around it. And yet this atom is the fabric from which we're knit together. And the fascinating thing about those atoms is that they're not even physical beings or entities, for, uh, perhaps. They, they are 99.999% vacuum space and 0.001% solid. And so that's a really phenomenally confusing you know, reality that everything around us, the table that I sit in front of, the computer screen that we look at, all of these things are, are vastly vacuum space. And there's almost no physical solidity to anything, including within our bodies. And so this impression that we have of solidness is really nothing more than that, a perception. It's, it's a belief system around the visual experience that we have, the tactile experience that we have, and we attribute that, those, those kind of perceptions uh, to this belief of solidity or solid, solid matrix. And so uh, once again, if we dive down there into that, that atomic vacuum space, we find out that it's not actually empty. It is a vacuum, meaning there's no air there. There's no, uh, you know, there's no atmosphere within that space. It's it's empty on the physical plane. It's actually full of electromagnetic field, and that electromagnetic field is pretty, you know, fascinating new world that we've been diving into. With looks into it in the in the 1950s, 60s, uh, with the understanding that uh, frequency resonance of different physical structures and things like this. Uh, the Carillion photography came out in the 1950s and 60s with the ability to image uh, the aura or the energy field around a leaf or a crystal or a human being. And so the, the ability to image that energy field started to give us a little bit of a glimpse into the reality that we are much more than we would appear and that uh, we can also have disruptions of that, that energy field. And the disruptions come in the form of perturbations within that electromagnetic field that fills the vacuum space. That electromagnetic field is a coherent message, if you will. It's, it's coherent mathematical data that comes out in geometric and frequency resonance to dictate the behavior of the 0.001% that might be solid, which would be the protons, the electrons, and anything that would be built from them. So the atoms would go on to, to, to coalesce to make all the elements in the periodic chart and the periodic chart would coalesce to start to build complex structures and molecular structures and the, those molecules would then go on to build the rest and so um, this kind of building block type phenomenon we start to recognize boy if we perturb or, or create dissidence in the fabric we're going to screw up the structure of everything up, upstream of that. And that's where we get into this reality of emotions being part of this. We are now starting to realize that stress at that electromagnetic field level can come in a myriad of fashions. You can certainly have physical stress, you can have emotional stress, you can have chemical stress, you know, all these different things that will change that electromagnetic field. And as we've gotten higher and higher quality cameras to image the electromagnetic field in different ways, we're starting to realize that it really is the underpinning to the whole uh, 4,000, 5,000 years of Chinese medicine. When a Chinese medicine doctor does a good pulse reading, they'll tell you which of your meridian or electrical systems are, are perturbed and, and weakened. And uh, that was, you know, seemed woo-woo to me as an allopathic doctor. It seemed ridiculous that, you know, somebody could do a check, put their fingers on my pulse and tell me what year I probably had an appendectomy and what year I had an emotional trauma from a spouse or close one, loved one. You know, these seemed ridiculous. And yet these things play out mm -hmm. uh, when you see a really good energy therapist or acupuncturist. And then once we got the camera in our clinic, by 2012, we had a camera from Russia uh, built by Konstantin Karakov and his team there, uh, kind of a fourth generation uh, device for, for looking at the electromagnetic field indirectly. We are now able to, to get that down to a resolution where we can tell you just like the Chinese medicine doc, it is this pathway right here, this meridian, the kidney meridian or the spleen meridian that has the, the stress in it. And, and so that was my big kind of aha moment in 2012 of, oh my gosh, we can image this thing, it's real, it's not theoretical. 
and we've been able to watch over the last you know six years pathologies and interventions change that electromagnetic field uh, static or, or dissonance and put a more coherent uh, field or electromagnetic resonance in those spaces that had previously been depleted or disorganized or chaotic you bring bring order there and then you get to see the macro consequences of healing in the individual whether that's spiritual physical or emotional healing quite often you hear oh before i ask a question is this the one that uses your finger you put it onto a plate and it yeah yeah so you have a yeah yeah an electrically charged plate or or camera lens that pulses ten thousand volts across its surface at a very low current so you don't actually get electrocuted and uh, in that electrical charge, though, it's a high enough voltage that it actually discharges plasma. And so the gas uh, the, uh, potential around your fingertip explodes under that high voltage. Oh. And you take a half second video of that explosion, and then you can compile that. The computer compiles that uh, into a, a static image. And, and the organization of that gas discharge is, is what we can look at, the, the either relative order or disorder. And then we can overlap that with the reflexology map that uh, you know, brilliant chiropractor in the US worked out over his entire career. He overlaps that <clears throat> with, with uh, Dr. Constantine's work and suddenly you have a, a clinical tool that's relatively useful. And so that's how we go about you know, utilizing that tool. So quite literally the power's in your fingertips. <laughs> yes. And you've experienced that. You've touched somebody's hand or you've even brushed by somebody and you, you'll get a tingle or you'll, you'll get an experience or you'll get goosebumps or, you know, uh, it's all of these things are, you know, in our daily experiences and we tend to brush them off and ignore them and everything else. But the reality is you're a very, very sensitive electromagnetic tool, uh, you know, assay or, or science kit that's able to detect the energies around you. And it's interesting that we train our children out of that so early, right? It's, it's not unusual for a kid to be repelled from an individual. And then you hear their parents saying, no, no, you have to accept that person. Go hug, go hug your aunt because it's your aunt. Go hug that person. <laughs> that kid is sensing, wow, there's a negative energy field here. And yeah. the kid's not thinking, I want to reject my aunt. It's just sensing a recoil from a chaotic energy field. Yeah. And yet we, we train the kid to ignore that and we say, no, no, you need to love that. You need to you know, put yourself next to that. And then we you know, all reach adulthood to find out that we're in a bunch of codependent relationships you know, you know, because we've literally been trained into them to, to bring ourselves alongside other chaotic energy fields, to mirror them, to carry that stress, to m mimic that, that pattern of disorder. Okay, the, um, the question I was going to ask before is, Quite often when someone's combating a serious disease, they may come to a point where they basically give up. And that's like an emotional decision that they've made. They're not going to fight it anymore. And from there, their health can quite often decline quite radically. Is this a similar thing you're talking about? I, I think it's almost, that's, that's the, almost the silver lining on the back side of it. So uh, okay. on the front side, you have negative emotion that can really drive chaos in the energy field. And uh, those tend to be, you know, anxiety, major depression as disease processes, but as emotions, they tend to be fear and guilt. And so fear and guilt are certainly the predominant negative emotions that I see affect human biology. Uh, they certainly both are, are present in every single cancer that I see, mm -hmm. and they tend to, to vary quite a bit in, in their severity and in their expression, depending on the cancer. Um, so you know, prostate cancer tends to be a, a guilt paradigm more than a fear paradigm, whereas uh, you know, anger as a dominant emotion tends to be uh, kind of a repressed uh, symptom in, in pancreatic cancer. And you know, these symptoms or these emotions can either be obvious in the individual or they cannot even be from the individual's life. They could be patterns of anger that were in their genomics you know, in, the feed, in the fetal state uh, from mom and dad or patterns of that could date back generations. We now know that emotional stress uh, of, a, of a child in the womb probably reflects at least three, if not you know, 15 generations before it. And so each generation can create an electromagnetic field dissidence and pass that on to their offspring. And that dissidence or chaos can actually survive multiple generations and continue to pass down uh, this, this emotional chaos. And so when you successfully in your life break through something, and you might do this through psychotherapy, you might do it through 
you know, an emotional therapy, um, that's tapping. something that he or any of these body talk, tapping. When you make a breakthrough and you become a new person because you've relieved yourself of some deep guilt or fear or a belief system around these emotions, and you make that breakthrough, you just erased a pattern that may have been, you know, generations in the making. And you've broken that pattern for all the generations to come. So it's just, it really speaks to the importance of self-care. When you do excellent self-care and you work yourself through the layers that you need to work through and have the opportunity to break these patterns, you're doing it for generations behind and forward and you're really changing um, humanity with a single individual making this step because the ripple effects are too complex and, and too far reaching for our current science and scientists to even really wrap our minds around. So uh, take heart in that. When you, when you go and see a massage therapist and take care of yourself, when you go and you know, hit the beach for a week to just do some self-time and meditation, changing humanity in these things. This is literally changing the fabric of the reality that we are knit together from. And it's compelling. It's, and I've seen it over and over again be the foundation for deep healing in individuals. And keep in mind, healing doesn't, you know, isn't the opposite of dying of cancer. People heal all the time and then go on to transition to the other side through their cancer or whatever disease process. And I've seen very successful healing journeys end with, you know, cancer death. And it, it's a jump, it's a paradigm shift as practitioners and as, as patients and consumers and family members to start to embrace a new, a new concept of death and dying, a new concept of, of failure and success, a new concept of health and healing, that is, of course, going to include a, a, a death. Uh, it's the one thing that we're running 100% likelihood of is of death here. And you know, perhaps there's Christ and uh, you know, a couple of, one other gentleman in, in scripture that's talked to that maybe didn't die, was caught up in the clouds beforehand. But in the end, we're running a very, very high likelihood of death. And we shouldn't preclude the definition of health and healing by the, the presence of death in our lives. It's a natural recycling and upcycling, hopefully, of energy and life itself and the souls that live within us. And so um, that's, you know, some underpinnings of the stress side of it. Now, you mentioned this, this transition to a moment when somebody says, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this biologic fight. I'm going to let go of this body and I'm going to jump. I have seen that over and over again in my hospice work and the amount of healing that happens in those few minutes often that you know it's not unusual somebody finally makes that release and then they have some clarity they suddenly you know have the most clear mental state they've had in years or in months and they're speaking to their family and they pass on some beautiful pearls of love and and care and forgiveness and then they pass away often within minutes or hours of that that moment of clarity Sometimes we get a few weeks with people in that state of release, sometimes a few months. Um, but the, the beauty that comes in somebody letting go of the fight for life and just accepting life and, and, it's, and it's recycling and disappearance or it's you know, reappearance somewhere else, however it works. And that, that process is so beautiful to witness. It's definitely my, my most rewarding and favorite part of hospice work is being, being witness to a human being making this transition from the belief that they have to hold on to life versus accept life, the gift of life. And I'm trying to do that in my own life to, to increase my longevity and life expectancy by reducing my own stress with the realization that I don't need to fight for my own life each day. My biology, my, my thrive is not something I should cling to. It's something I should joyfully accept and recognize its miracle each day. If I wake up with life and breath within me, that's miraculous. It's something given to me. It's something that is flowing from the greater universe into my body today. There must be purpose and, and must be uh, important impact that I, I can have on humanity and the world at large if, again, I wake up tomorrow and have breath in my body. And so it's a beautiful process. It's one that I, I'm excited to uh, continue to see in humanity as we continue to mature together of what does life look like if we stop clinging to it and start celebrating it as as the gift that it is well you've given us a lot a lot to contemplate there when you're talking about 
hereditary diseases, which is really what you, you can actually break that through the emotion. It's a, it's a state which is carried from your parents because you haven't chosen your parents carefully enough, obviously. And <laughs> break that chain through emotional means by accepting and basically breaking the chain, if you like. Yeah. By overcoming yeah. the emotional state. Breaking is so important and so powerful and it ripples through families quickly. Um, the living within your family will change when you, when you finally forgive yourself for whatever you feel guilty for and, and give yourself that 100% permission slip to just be you and that anything that's happened, anything you've done was a result of a complex, you know, collection of, you know, familial, personal, environmental, stimuli that shaped your your decisions and mistakes in the past and, and you start to realize you know what that wasn't my fault that was a, a natural outpouring of, of the environment that i was in at the time accept that come to terms from it learn from it certainly and then forgive yourself thoroughly and and once you do that the ripple effects are immediate and you you see movies about this you you certainly you know had some version of this either tiny or dramatic in your own life uh, where a forgiveness or, or a resolution of fear and guilt occurs and suddenly the whole family dynamic shifts. Relationships that have been estranged suddenly become super close. Uh, you know, you see these stories over and over and over again. So um, it's a beautiful opportunity we have to heal as not just an individual, but as a larger family and community and world at large. A question's come in uh, from Dre Callender. Um, the question is, has there been or have there been any papers on people to see cellular damage or changes at the cell membrane or internally at the mitochondria or the atom of the cell when fear or the guilt or guilt is induced? I guess what they're saying is, have they done studies on a person and applied guilt? <laughs> You should be working rather than, rather than sitting here doing our study. And have they seen any ill, Ill changes in their body? Have they, have, well, I guess, has, have any serious studies been done with the role? That I'm not quite in the question there, but it sounds like you know, the question is, have studies been done to show proactively the, the, the emotional trauma on an individual? Is that basically the... Yes, I think that's... I guess what um, Dre is asking, yes. Um, you know, I haven't read, a, I haven't, I'm sure those studies have been done in some shape or form. Um, you know, our group um, is never blessed to be present right at the moment of an emotional trauma typically. But what we do get to see is the opposite, which is a moment of healing. And we've captured this dramatically on, on energy field camera in a number of cases the most dramatic one was a 29 year old woman who had a brain tumor and uh, it was a metastasis from a very aggressive cancer in her abdomen called a neuroendocrine carcinoma and um, she had uh, before she passed away from her brain tumor about a year and a half earlier she'd gone into total remission body totally clear of tumors and uh, that moment of remission happened in about you know probably a split second but we were able to image her before and after this healing event, 45 minute period. Uh, so she had a baseline. We could see the areas of chaos around the tumor. She had three large tumors in her abdomen. 45 minutes later, you can see on GDV imaging, complete clearance of all of that dissidence. Within you know days of that, we had, had uh, a repeat ultrasound that showed no tumors left. And so, you know, so something dramatic changed in those 45 minute period in the energy field, which had an immediate impact on the, the biologic presence of these tumors. And so that was a radical example of the opposite of, you know, there was a trauma that happened at some point in that woman's life that set her up for this horrible abdominal cancer and this vulnerability around her ovaries and, and uterus where the metastases had formed. And then suddenly she changed that playing field. She dramatically changed the train of the biophysics and the tumors disappeared simply because they can't exist in a space of really coherent, organized, well-attuned, well good information stream frequency resonance. And so you have to have chaos. You have to have enough disconnect from your own core cell for a cancer cell to be confused enough and isolated enough to, to form a cancer cell and remain a cancer cell. 
And so apoptosis or programmed cell suicide must have happened very quickly in that woman's cancers because there was no signs of inflammation, there was no fluid, there was no anything a few days later that would have suggested that the immune system came and attacked those spaces to leave scar and everything else. There was literally no trace of the tumors left. We have another guy who had metastatic prostate cancer through all of his bones, to his brain, to his lungs. He had mets everywhere. And within three months, he had no, no tumors anywhere. That, that journey you know, was probably instantaneous, though it looked like it was three months for us uh, to kind of document that journey because we don't do scans every day. But sometime in that three-month interval, there was an instantaneous change because, again, on imaging at the three-month mark, there was not a scar. There was not a hole in the bone where the tumors had been. It was 100% looked like a different human being's scans. You couldn't believe that the two were the same. We've showed these images to radiologists and other doctors, and it's just jaws on the ground because you just can't comprehend that healing can happen in this fashion where it's so complete. It's so it's much more a reversal of the time time frame. It's a, going back in time in that human's body to a precancerous state rather than a slow healing process. And the atomic physics is weird. We're starting to realize because quantum physics is real, because the space-time continuum is not linear, that real healing events like this when they occur really are the proton going back in time and and literally returning the the fabric of the individual back to this pre-disease state it's not you know the biology of slow healing and scar formation and everything else that we learn as the healing process so there seems to be the ability for biologic healing and there's this extraordinary capacity for biophysics and healing which is time travel at the, at the physics level wow that woman that you're talking about her cancer returned why did it yeah. return that's a great question. And, you know, I've seen this happen so many times where, you, you know, you have a breast cancer patient who's in complete remission for 15 years and then suddenly her cancer comes back and kills her in six months. Um, same thing for this woman. She went into complete remission. And when she recurred, none of the tumors that had been there before were what recurred. Her abdomen stayed completely clear, which is where the tumor had formed and where all of her original metastases were. But when you... Well, the history of this woman is fascinating in that her main struggle in life, her kind of north node, if you will, or this, her, the, the, the journey she was born into was the struggle with, with the reality of God. And this struggle for kind of the man-God question affects one energy center in particular in the human body. And that energy center is the sixth chakra in Chinese medicine. And there's other terms for the chakras but it's right, right in the center of the head. And that, that functions in the physics field as kind of a, a vortex. Each of these, these uh, how should I describe them here? The, each of these energy centers that would be a chakra or any of these you know, descriptions in, in language uh, function much like you see a quasar or a black hole any of these structures in, in astrophysics about out in space create these huge energy fields that affect gas and particles around them. And that's why we get these beautiful pictures of, you know, galaxies and their spinning arms or uh, the supernovas and their incredible gas formations that can look like an eyeball or all these different cool things that you see in Time Magazine or, or Life or, uh, you know, Hubble Space Images, all this stuff. That's all speaking to the fabric of, of the vacuum space. And we have those centers, seven of them, within the human body. The first one at the base of the pelvis, the seventh one kind of right at the top of the uh, crown of our head. The sixth one is right here in this space, and it's also called the God and Man Chakra. And this woman literally was journaling day in and day out, even during the year and a half of her total remission, around her struggle with, with her parents' religion, which is kind of a very conservative Christian worldview. And she was very much kind of, you know, bitter towards that, angry towards that, angry towards God, that she had never found a life partner, that she wasn't pregnant yet, that she didn't have children, that she, and she had this whole list of complaints that all of us tend to be able to do by midlife. You know, we can list out our complaints to God. Her not just to God, it was around the complaint that I don't even believe God exists. Uh, I don't believe it's a greater thing. 
and whether you i've seen people who who don't believe there is anything and it doesn't cause any stress in in their lives but for this woman this was major stress like she struggled day in and day out with this question of is there god is there not a god and so this created this dissidence this huge chaotic weakness in her brain and we could see that weakness you know dating back to the very first images we had gotten on her you know a couple years before she went into remission and so you could see that vulnerability over time and it didn't improve that vulnerability remained it remained there even when she had this incredible extraordinary healing event where you could see all of all of the tumors disappear in her abdomen still there was this vulnerability up in the, in the the brain at that point due to this dissonance in the sixth chakra. And we, we talked to her about this endlessly and we, we were right there with her and we journeyed on with this question for her. We tried to do everything we could to like bring new perspectives to the question, give new you know books for her to read, give her you know whatever we could bring into it to kind of do it because we knew this was like her Achilles heel. And sure enough, the tumor, one tumor showed up right in the back of the head, which is the, the back side of this vortex of the sixth chakra. So is that all exactly how I just laid it out? Is that why the tumor's there? I, I, I don't have anything but the evidence that we have in the biophysics to, to outline that story to you. So I may be inaccurate in that, but I can tell you that all the pieces were there just as spoken of. We have very objective, repeated measures showing that vulnerability and sure enough, a tumor shows up there. And, and we tackled it not only with all the tools that had, had been deployed to put her into remission the first time, many more tools that were more advanced, more complicated. Um, she went through multiple surgeries, you know, all, we, all of the tools at hand. And we couldn't get that space to heal enough to, to get the, that one last tumor to disappear. And so despite four huge tumors that were life-threatening disappearing, and probably many micromets that we couldn't see in the abdomen, um, you know, we couldn't get that last piece to heal because the, the the environment, the energy field, due to the emotional structures that have been placed in her, the stress, fear, guilt around her religious worldview uh, became such a vulnerability to her that we, we were unable to overcome that. And her journey was beautiful in the end. Her journey uh, of her last month, uh, extraordinarily, she, she journaled for the last month. She lived full time in a little apartment next to our clinic so that uh, she could access all of the care as we moved into the hospice stage of her care and everything else. And um, her parents moved in with her for the last day and her father literally laid in bed with her. She, by this time she was in a coma um, and the last, she went into a coma about 36 hours before she died. And so she was just kind of laying in bed on her back in a coma state, you know, re respirations were irregular. Her father laid out next to her, uh, eyes closed, as if he was in a, a coffin, uh, his hands folded across his chest, and he didn't move for a day and a half. He didn't drink, he didn't pee, he just laid there next to his daughter, Gosh. and uh, really present with her in the, for the first time in his life, I think, and uh, fully entered into her journey in those last day and a half. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed as a human being, let alone a doctor. And um, she had journaled for the last year and a half or month and a half, uh, a new journal. And um, in a very dramatic moment, she passed away where she suddenly um, screamed into the world. She sat straight up in bed, screamed at uh, through us, like as if she was looking and seeing something past us, screamed and let go of her spirit. And she kind of died as she settled back into bed and let go of her spirit there. As we all kind of mourned that we were crying, it was a very, you know, incredibly terrifying and beautiful moment of, of this passage of this young woman. Um, despite the amount of grief her parents were, were feeling, her dad was almost in this elated state. And then he said, I got to read this to you. I have to read this to you. And he ran in the other room, grabbed this journal that I had been unaware of and read the last 10 pages of this thing. And this woman in that, in her last month and a half, even in the last, you know, five days of her life, came to, to realize that she was cared for and loved by, by an entity that she came to be comfortable calling God. And um, she, she realized that you know, there was peace there and, and she completed her journey. She, I think she was born into this world and she completed her journey over this one question is, is there God in man? Is there a benevolent you know, love and uh, source of life that pours through us as human beings? And, and her journal needs to become a, a published book someday because it's, it's one of the most eloquent beautiful journeys that's ever expressed that 
realization as, as she faced her mortality. And um, it's extraordinary to witness. Gosh, so that's still sad, sad story. A few questions are coming through on Facebook, so we'll um, ask those. Uh, one viewer asked, uh, is it possible that the immune system is lowered due to a lack of B vitamins when stressed? And if it is, then would taking extra B vitamins help when you are having negative thoughts? Um, so I, you know, I, I certainly can't tell you that that's a yes or no answer. Okay. There's many reasons for uh, major depression, anxiety disorder, mood disorder, mood instability. There's many pathways to that journey. Uh, certainly nutritional deficiencies are common. Um, in that, we know that uh, major depression uh, doesn't happen independent of the microbiome. That's um, been a lot of our work over the last six years is to understand the relationship between the human microbiome, the genomics of the human being, protein matrix that is made from the human nucleus, the care of the extracellular matrix, the care of the neurologic system, the care of the neurotransmitters that would be the, the fuel for that neurologic system. All of this has its underpinnings in the microbiome. The microbiome, of course, is the bacteria, the fungi, the parasites, the viruses that live in, on, and around us. And that, that reality of this microbiome necessarily being present is, is new news. We now know that one course of antibiotics uh, can increase your risk of anxiety attack by 17% in the next year, 24% increase in major depression within the next year with wow. one course of antibiotics. If you have two courses of antibiotics, those numbers jump radically. It can push you up to like a 45% likelihood of having major depression in a year with two courses of antibiotics um, in a six to 12 month period. So um, if we kill the microbiome, mood disorder occurs. Um, and so that's the present state of the world is that we've destroyed the ecosystem thoroughly. We've wiped out at least 40% of the biodiversity on the earth in the last 50 years through chemical farming, chemical, uh, you know, introduction in our food chain, uh, preservatives and all the weird chemicals that work its way into prepared foods these days, uh, processed foods, all of these things disrupting the microbiome. And then of course, just gross disruption of the microbiome of the soils through our farming practices, through our urban sprawl, through paving the world, through you know, putting concrete over everything. All of these things have destroyed the ecosystem at such grandeur, um, you know, to lose to the point of extinction, 40% of the biologic life in, in the world that's developed over millions and millions of years, to lose that in a mere 50 years is a travesty and, and a, the sadness that should be in our hearts and minds uh, that's, that's beyond recognition and, and comprehension. The sadness is, shouldn't be there to create pathology. The sadness should be there to, to, to create the opportunity for transformation. And so that's where our companies are coming in strong. My parent company is Seraphic Group, and we're channeling all of the money that we make from all of our uh, products and technologies on the market right back into our parent company to reinvest in, in research and development of disruptive technologies that can get at the root cause of why, why is our social and technological structure so destructive? Why do we suck life out of everything we touch as human beings? Why don't we participate in a circle of life. What is it about us as a species that, that you know, has this tendency to wipe out 90% of the large animal life in any ecosystem that we enter into? Um, we, we just are so abusive. We're so destructive. We're so... Um, well, the answer is we're, so, we're, so, we're self-centered. That's what we are. We think about self. Yeah. And, and I hope that the science of our lab and, and today, you know, today's discussion and so many others that I have on all these podcasts, I hope it's part of that discussion right there, which is if we can come to terms that human life can't survive without the microbiome, let alone the other species that we see around us, then we should realize that in our narcissism, we have to take care of the rest of the planet. And so if we want to survive as a species, we have to immediately change. One in three males in the, in the U.S. is now thought to be uh, infertile. One in four women is, are, have infertility. And so we're losing the ability to procreate as a species because we've so destroyed the ecosystem and the fabric of, from which health springs. And so this narcissistic journey of destroying everything has got us to the point where we're destroying ourselves very quickly now. And 
Uh, we're, we're kind of on the brink, you know, if we don't change direction in the next 50 years, it's very likely we'll be extinct and join that, that mass extinction that's been going on the planet by our own hands for the last 40 years. And, and we'll, our extinction will be at our own hands as well. It's not going to be, you know, some catastrophic, you know, war. It's not going to be some catastrophic, uh, volcanic event or a meteor we're, we're going to do it by our own hands if we don't change our own direction we're going to poison ourselves into extinction uh, we're going to destroy ourselves and that that can either you know stay that way and we go extinct and we shouldn't necessarily feel that much emotional burden for that i mean if that's probably the best thing uh, from an empiric state the most important thing for for planet earth right now is that humans disappear um, that's the only way that, that earth is going to recover and and have life on it and so um, it should be our number one goal would be self-extinction if we cared for the planet enough. Or the obvious alternative is change everything. Change the way we interact with nature. Reconnect to nature in every shape and form. Our cell phone communication networks need to work within, within biologic realms that are actually beneficial, not harmful. And that's possible. When you know about the frequency resonance of, of uh, everything that's in the universe or everything that's on Earth, it's not hard to pick frequency resonance structures that are not damaging. Right now we have damaging Wi-Fi. We have damaging, you know, frequency resonance that's right in the biologic realm of, of cellular structure. We're screwing it up. And so we have enough knowledge already to change everything, everything from our technology to the products we buy, to the way in which we farm, to the way which produce food adequate for 7 billion people. We have all the technologies and know-how to do all of that in a natural regenerative way rather than a consumptive pathway. And so let's go extinct and not be sorry for that extinction, or let's change everything uh, so that we can continue to be a positive participant in mother nature and life on this planet. Well, I agree with you 100% on that, Zach, 100%. It does infuriate me when I see there's something, little things like someone dropping something on the ground. I think, well, this is really their view on Earth, the Earth is providing for them, and this is their thanks. You know, they're not—they're not making anything better. They're just making things worse. This is. A, <laughs> you're, right. you're right. That tiny little decision to litter, to drop your trash in, on the side of the road. It's the tiny decision to grab a plastic straw versus no straw. It's mm -hmm. the tiny decision to, you know, eliminate plastic bags from your community or continue to use plastic bags. You know, these are the things that are so fundamental in our impact on the planet. I mean, it's so obvious. Uh, the idea of um, getting an electric car just so that we move our, our transportation industry forward from its codependent relationship with fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. So get an electric car and then people say, well, electric cars aren't that great. I don't care if they're not that great. They're a hell of a lot better than what we've been doing for the last 50 years of the planet. And so let's move forward. Let's not look at it as the penultimate solution. Let's look at it as a step in the right direction. So freaking get an electric car and then take the next step, which is going to be a, a, a car that runs on salt water, uh, you know, and, and we're going to make biologic engines. It's going to happen. And, and we need to, as consumers, push the, the timeline on that to something that's going to be in enough time to, to allow us to stop damaging the planet so fast. I ride around on an electric motorcycle. Actually, there's a very interesting question that's come in. Uh, Zach, if, you've, if you're sick and you've got negative emotions inside you, if you can clear them, if you can resolve them, overcome them, and, and, and clear your body from all these negative thoughts, would that make a physical change in your body? Like you've given two examples now with this woman. I mean, she... 100%. It's so dramatic. If you can clear the emotional trauma from your life with complete forgiveness of your guilt, complete elimination of the fear. And by the way, you know, guilt is forgiveness. The elimination of fear comes through surrender, which is not as obvious. Um, at least that's my take on it. I, that surrender is the opposite of fear. Yes. Fear comes from the belief that we can control the situation. Surrender comes in the real, you know, is an embracing of the realization that we have to surrender ourselves to a greater intelligence, to a greater existence of love, to a greater reality of love at the fabric level, um, to accept the, the miracles that we can be given in the day. The speed at which I've seen that change the trajectory of people's lives is just what we've talked about previously. It's literally seconds or minutes that you are changing 
human biology and function. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why hypnosis works, right? And so in, in hypnosis, you can see somebody who's been addicted to cigarettes for 50 years and they go through a couple sessions of hypnosis and they're not at all addicted to cigarettes. In fact, they are repulsed, repulsed by those cigarettes. They can't stand the smell of them. I mean, that person had an incredible neurologic shift the, the complexity of that change, I can't even, don't have time to even describe it. Take me an hour to tell you just the neurologic changes that would have to happen to, to break an addiction to cigarettes. And yet that can happen in a split second in a hypnotic state where you're not even in your conscious mind. And so the speed at which change happens is radical and it speaks to the, the concept of grace. The fact that we can disease our bodies over decades of self-abuse and self-loathing you know, and, and self-destruction you know, through our emotions as well as our you know, chemical environment and everything else we do to ourselves, that that can all be re released and, and reversed in seconds, minutes, months. That's an extraordinary reality of grace. And so the fabric level, at the fabric level, humanity is founded on grace. Life is founded on grace. We, we will be given grace that outstrips, outmeasures anything that we would deserve. It's literally a gift all the time. Gosh. Uh, now, I've got a question from Prashant. Prashant, I won't go into the details of what you've, um, the background of your question, but what Prashant is wanting to know is how can one overcome deep sadness and anxiety so that they can move on and improve their life. Uh, Prashant, yes. he found himself through no fault of his own, someone else in a bad situation. Um, and, you know, and, and so he's, he's, he's becoming overwhelmed at the moment with his situation. Are there really any techniques that he can use? For sure. There's many, many routes to healing your situation. And I think uh, it's not every single one of us, if we are honest with ourselves, have done things, said things to those that we love or hurt people in our environment uh, unintentionally or subconsciously or sometimes intentionally. And, and the guilt and sorrow that can come from a situation like that is intense. The, the pathway out of that, I think, again and again, is going to be uh, the ability for you to come into the present moment to be able to lice yourself from any perceived future and lice yourself from any perceived past and come right present to this second that we're in right now. Because in the reality at the atomic physics level, that's all that exists is this split second. And it is a split second. It's down to probably one millionth of a second that we've already been able to measure. That reality only lists, you know, exists in a millionth of a second. And then there's a next millionth of a second. And there's an X millionth of a second but those things are not tied together unless we choose to continue to, to believe in and create the same environment for that time. <clears throat> you can change that in a millionth of a second, create a new reality yourself, if you can learn to become disciplined enough to become right now. Because right now is all the grace, forgiveness, and love that's ever, ever existed. The reason I know that is because of the atomic physics. Nothing can be destroyed. Energy is not destroyable. It is, it is impermeable, it is perfect, it is continuous. Energy at this atomic level never ceases to exist. You can't destroy an electron, it reorganizes. That energy will reorganize protons. You can blow them apart in a collider, all that energy will recollect. Energy is continuous all the time. So whatever you feel like you've lost or you've damaged or you've you know, done in the past, all of that is already reorganized into something else. The reason why it continues to haunt our minds and biologies is because we continue to hold the belief that it's still present. And so sorrow, anxiety, all of these symptoms that you're asking about, these are, these are perceptions of the past and a re-imprinting of those on the present moment. So learn how to meditate. Learn how to meditate. Come in. I was talking time. about that just before the show. So, yeah. No, well, I've, I've, I I've, 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 well, I was filling in the time. I was just telling people, the, the few people that were on at that time, that I started my transcendental meditation. I've done it for about a month and a half now. And I, I found it great yeah. because it's in the moment. You don't have to focus on anything. Just, it's super easy. Just let yourself be, 
repeat a word that has no meaning so you can clear your mind from all the distractions. And then, you, can, and then you, you sort of dive down and come back up to the surface. It's a great form of meditation where I haven't done meditation before, but I've tried to do other ones and it's been no good. But the meditation seems to make um, bring some day-to-day life things and more clarity. And what you're saying now is true. What's, what things seem continuous because you're allowing them to chain together. But if you break the chain and then you take the next moment as a new moment, then you no longer have the legacy of the past and these feelings of guilt, anxiety, fear. You can you can overcome that. That's yeah. coincidence. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, that's that's such a good review, and, and that's why transcendental meditation is why meditation in any form has been taught for literally thousands of years is because it's so potent. Um, it's such a powerful way to to stop the cycle. Um, our our negative thoughts about ourselves are so cyclical, and yet there's nothing that can't break that in a split second. You can break those cycles of self abuse and self emotional undermining in a split second if you can become present enough to find out that you're fully loved, fully forgiven, fully present. You are made of the fabric of love. You are made of the resonance of love. You are made of fabric of the entire universe there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from that but you can die in the body prematurely and and the stress that we create as human beings is doing that both to ourselves as well as the animals and the and all of the other biology on earth is suffering right now and disappearing before its time because of our uh, the level of dissidence and chaos that we've put into the energy field here on planet earth and so um you know, Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey, uh, they've joined together. They have a mission of getting a billion people to meditate. Uh, and if we could hit a billion people meditating on this planet, one in every seven, uh, I have no question that not only are individuals going to heal, but nations will heal, societies will heal, cultures will heal. If a billion will meditate, we will move forward. And, you know, between now and then, every, every thousand that meditate, every single one that meditates, is creating a vortex, is creating a, a new opportunity for change and transition for our species. So if you're already a meditator, my sincerest gratitude to you. You're, you're helping me, you're helping the planet, you're helping us all move forward. And meditation comes in many forms. You may not even realize you're a meditator. Many, many people will, you know, that come to my clinic and I mention meditation, they're like, oh, I've always meant to do that, but I never do that. But as soon as I start to ask them about what their daily life looks like, they say, well, I start the morning every morning by walking out in my garden and just sitting there and enjoying the sun, sunlight on the back of my head and, and drinking my tea. That's the most beautiful freaking meditation I've ever heard of. <laughs> you don't have to like go sit in a room on a pillow that has gold fringe on it to go have a meditative experience. You need to freaking get present. And there's nothing more beautiful. There's no sanctuary built more divinely than the nature around us. And so don't wait to get to some magnificent, you know, mosaic building to, to have your meditative experience. Simply go outside. To the gentleman who was asking, how do you move past sorrow and anxiety? I recommend you go out and pick a leaf and stare at that leaf for 10 minutes. It has to be 10 minutes. Don't, don't break your gaze on that leaf for 10 minutes and you will have a deep meditative experience and reconnection with the nature around you in that process. Just silence. Simple. Something so simple that is. Mm-hmm. Just a second of it. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Can you feel that weight that happens when we just go silent for a second? That's that's gravity right there. That's that is the electromagnetic field waking up, becoming present beautiful it is it is another question has come in to break the silence this is from laurie parker laurie asks have you used the biofield toning i've got no idea what it is so if you do you know what we, it is? We, yeah we have not used that specific one in clinic i'm aware of it and i we've we've probably compared you know dozens of different approaches to the electromagnetic field um, everything from flower essences onto a lot of scalar wave uh, treatment that we do in clinic, acupuncture, uh, emotion code therapy, NEAT, 
all these different mechanisms are changing the energetic field, color puncture, you know, we've, we've checked so many, many vast techniques and they all work, you know, they all change it. And that's the same story as, you know, and, and you need to be cautious of this because um, there's so many marketing teams out there in, in the alternative integrated medicine world right now trying to convince everybody that they've got the best and greatest tool and they put a great snazzy marketing, you know, scheme around that. And then in the end, you know, is it really new? And the answer is no, it's just a tool. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It might be a fantastic tool, but it's being used wrong if, it, if it's, you know, manipulative. And so, you know, be cautious of, of, of the marketing teams and know that they probably all work, especially when used with the right intention, with the right practitioner um, who has the right intention and a, and a individual or patient who comes into that space in the, with the right intention for themselves. Um, the tool becomes almost irrelevant, and then it's the two human beings that that are interacting at that moment, and it's a it's our ability to heal one another that really comes through. And I I believe that about my clinic all the time. Uh, when I see somebody healed, I know that had a lot to do with my relationship with that person, not the supplements or technologies that we use in clinic. Those are all just tools in the toolbox to get us to a point where we trust each other high enough to be cured. That's amazing. Dre Callender has asked the question, would a Dianetics be a reasonable way of clearing chains of events or is meditation better? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the first uh, word. That di Dianetics. Would Dianetics. I haven't heard of that one either. A way of cleaning. Yeah, my, my accent might be throwing you as well. Uh, Dianetics. D-I-A-N-E-T-I-C-S. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Okay, we'll pass on that one. Same thing, you know, applies. Not even knowing the technology can tell tell you that if, if you have a, a well-intentioned, grounded therapist who's present with you in this moment, and you become present with that practitioner on the other side of that tool, it's going to work. It's amazing. So what other case studies have you seen with your clinic um, with people that are come in with come in with emotional baggage if you can see the baggage is with this person the baggage belongs to the person how what, what would you suggest to them would you suggest they do meditation would you suggest that they go out and look at that leaf for 10 minutes what, what do you generally do with the person yeah all of the above Ooh. all of the above you know I would I would listen to the person to listen to what they they're being drawn to you know and once you show them that there's a pathway away from the baggage ask them what's resonating with them and oftentimes they won't know and they'll just want me to recommend something and so I'll, I'll give them an option and then as soon as they experience that they either resonate with that individual on the other side of the tool or they don't and then they'll either stick with it or they'll or I'll, I'll show them another pathway I don't believe there's any one pathway because ultimately it's about those two human beings coming into a, a place of trust. And some people just can't get over some mental block on acupuncture. So no matter how much acupuncture they do and how good the therapist is, they can't, can't get it to work because the individual is not willing to engage and trust in that, that tool and, and it's, it's capacity to be part of this healing journey. And so um, it, it's going to be different for each individual, but the faster that we, you know, let go of the belief that there is a technology or a thing and realize it's a symphony. This is a symphony of tools that Mother Nature has given us. And if we can embrace that, we're going to realize that, my gosh, there's so much value in listening to a violin. But my gosh, the cello, when you hear the cello, it just makes you cry. And then, oh my gosh, have you heard the resonance in a, in a bass string as a bow is pulled across it? Oh my gosh, did you hear that, that clarinet in that moment? You know, it's like, we keep arguing over my tool is better. My instrument's better. Well, well, my God, if you guys would just back up, you'd find out you're playing a freaking symphony and you can stop arguing and just celebrate the fact that it's beautiful music that's coming through us as human beings. When we choose to be healers, when we choose to be healed, we create beautiful music in that moment. That's right. We've covered all the topics we're supposed to cover except for one. Leaky gut. That sneaked in get so far off target we never cover anything we meant <laughs> but we always, really they're always the best <laughs> one you know zach but um we did have as one of the draw cards leaky gut and apparently right. <laughs> if someone's that, got, that, that's, 
that's in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I, can, I can get you that. Um, so uh, if you haven't heard me talk about Leaky Gut five million times before, we'll talk about it now. So um, Leaky Gut is um, a, a kind of a, a non-scientific term that's been put on uh, the scientific term of intestinal permeability. Uh, the intestine is made of trillions of cells that are laced together, or billions at least, billions of cells that are laced together by tight junctions. These are like spot welds or Velcro that open and close to allow material to come across into the immune system and bloodstream and into the human being to nurture them. And so the gut lining is massive. It covers two tennis courts in surface area. It begins at your nasal sinuses and goes all the way through the, the intestinal system. That massive barrier system is your front line of defense. Uh, it really is the thing that defines the outside world to your, your, your body. In that way, it is the molecular self-identity. And so your molecular self-identity relies on the, uh, the intelligence or the coherence of these Velcro-like proteins that hold all those cells into a single barrier system. And the incredible thing that we have happening in humanity and in our animals that would eat from our same food chain, both our pets and our agricultural animals, are suffering massively right now because the chemicals that are commonly placed in those things, the herbicides and the pesticides that kill the microbiome, damage the tight junctions. And glyphosate or Roundup, which is the most ubiquitous chemical on the planet right now, and just uh, we're, we're very excited about this lawsuit that just got won in California with a... Yeah cancer patient finally getting uh, $200 million from, from Monsanto is very exciting for us because uh, we've been part of this mission to kind of do this, you know, awareness thing that this chemical that we're all eating and drinking is carcinogenic. And it's carcinogenic because it destroys that fi fabric of the, the human self-identity. And as you destroy the self-identity of the cell, it can then become a cancer cell. Uh, a cell that's lonely long enough will become a cancer cell. It will, it, it will collect enough damage unrepaired in itself uh, that it begin, its only option is to proliferate and become that tumor or cancer. Right. And so uh, that leaky gut, leaky blood vessels, leaky blood-brain barrier, leaky kidney tubules that's, that's developing because of our food and water system, that's really at the heart and soul of this. And we could go on for many hours on this topic, as I typically do, um, but uh, <laughs> that's the out there um, but it has an exact interplay with the emotional story that we've been telling that if at the biologic level we are disrupting our sense of self-identity then what's the likelihood that somebody's gonna be able to do effective meditation what's the likelihood that somebody's gonna have the wherewithal to to have a moment of silence mm -hmm. to come into peace today what's the likelihood that they're gonna have the emotional reservoir to forgive themselves to get over their guilt to get to pass uh, let go of their fear and baggage um, the fact is we're, we have chemicalized this planet to the point where it's undermining our ability to, to rise in consciousness. And yet I see humanity fighting against that. I see humanity riding, rising in our consciousness despite our politics, despite the chemical warfare, despite all of this stuff. Uh, I'm watching a documentary the last few nights on the Vietnam War, and you know, it's it's dumbfounding the, the the idiocy of the politics of the situation is dumbfounding the brutality and the inhumane practices that were carried out on on a people group it's dumbfounding that we sent innocent young kids of our own children into warfare that we already knew wasn't working we knew it would never work and yet we kept doing it and so that that we can do that to our own children says something about the vulnerability that we have as humans we can become so narcissistic so caught up in our egos and our desire to be reelected or to <laughs> make, more, make these catastrophic decisions. Yeah. And so um, all of this in the end is the same story. It is one of self-identity as a species and a realization that we can't survive alone. We die. Uh, we develop major depression and, and anxiety if we kill the microbiome. Uh, we develop leak and inflammation after that microbiome is, is damaged. And so we develop chronic disease. Currently, our children have 46% of our children have a chronic disease diagnosis in the United States. 46% of our children have a chronic disease diagnosis. That's compared to 4% of the entire population of the United States with a chronic disease in the 1960s. And so and we have so much disease burden on our children today. And all of the little decisions we have to drive our cars, to eat chemical foods, to pollute our water systems, air systems, all of those decisions 
are leading to the demise of our own children. We no longer have to send them to war for them to suffer and die in fear and isolation. Fear and isolation is now a cellular event that happens on a daily basis because of our chemical farming. I'd like to end these sermons on a positive note, Zach, and I'm sort of struggling here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I can bring us back to a positive note. I can bring us there because, uh, again, it comes back to the story of grace. We have made grave, grave mistakes as human beings. We have made massive technological mistakes. We've made massive, uh, you know, religious mistakes. We've made massive uh, abusive errors on so many levels. And we can have great sense of sorrow and we can have a great sense of guilt, or we can all come right present right now and leave all of that baggage behind. For a split second, if humanity will join together and just say, we're gonna come present right now into the reality that we are made from the fabric of love, we are living in a, a fabric of reality that is more graceful than it is damaged. We can, in a split second, let go of our collective emotional trauma and baggage and become completely free of that chaos at our fabric level, we can come into a space where we can heal so fast that it will defy the understanding of the media, the understanding of our politicians, when suddenly humanity stands up together and says, I love you. I love myself. Let's do this thing. Let's do this life and let's not cling to it and fight for it and suck life out of everything in the battle for more life. Let's realize that life is a gift it comes to us freely. It flows through us every day that we're given breath. Let's accept the gift. Let's thrive in it. Let's express our love and respect for one another. And let's enjoy what would come from that. We've never seen it in human history. We've been locked in a story of war, collapse, rape of nations and individuals and everything else. That pattern has existed since the beginning of civilization. And now we have the opportunity to break it because we can become right now for a moment and leave all the baggage behind. Beautiful words, everybody. Dr. Zach Bush. Zach, thank you so much. And thank you for the positive note too at the end. I really hope that happens. Your vision is a beautiful vision. I can see this happening. We've got enough people to make it happen. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being part of the mouthpiece and the, and the, the communication chain to make all this happen. It wouldn't happen if I was just sitting in a, in a room alone. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be a part of your experience as well as your audience's experience for all of you listening and who will listen in the future. Thank you for becoming present with us for a moment here. And thank you for letting that change your life and changing our lives in, in, the, in the mix of that. So uh, it's been an honor. Thank you. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody.